chapter 1, and we're going to read the 10th verse in just a few minutes. 1 Corinthians 1, and we're going to read verse 10. I believe in God because of the starry sky above me and the moral law within me. I said that two weeks ago, beginning our, this three-week series, why I believe what I believe. I said I believe in God because of the starry sky above me and the moral law within me, the starry sky above me, of course, talking about the, the expansive, majestic creation and the moral law within us that God's laws, His standards are written on the hearts and on the consciences of humans or else there would be chaos. And I said, that, that says to me there is a personal God. Then the second week, I, I talked about why I'm a Christian. First week, why I believe in God. Second week, why I'm a Christian. And I said, I'm, I'm a Christian mainly because of three words, because of incarnation, resurrection, and redemption. Incarnation meaning that, that God became incarnate, enfleshed, embodied in the person of Jesus, that without giving up his divinity, his godness, he took upon himself our humanity, our humanness, so that the Christian faith was founded by God on earth in person. Second word is resurrection. I said that on a Friday afternoon about three o'clock, Jesus declared from the cross, it is finished. But on Sunday morning, his once beatless heart began to beat, his once breathless lungs began to breathe, his once lifeless body sat up on the cold slab of a borrowed tomb and everything changed. He had declared, I'm the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but by me and the resurrection added an exclamation point. Third word is redemption, which is the long and beautiful story of, of God reaching down in love to humans, all of whom have this overwhelming tendency to do the wrong thing, and the Bible calls that sin, and we couldn't save ourselves, and so he reaches down in love to offer us Jesus through whom we can be liberated or freed or redeemed from the power of sin over us and the, and the eternal penalty of our sin, punishment for our sin, and, and liberated from the shame and the lament and the regret of our sin. So I said, I I believe in God because of the starry sky above me and the moral law within me. I believe, uh, I, or I'm a Christian because I'm, I believe in incarnation and resurrection and redemption. So I'm, I'm funneling down now, and I've been knowing for weeks I was going to do this, but I had a hard time settling what, on what I would talk about today. I believe in God. I'm a Christian. I started to say today why I'm a, I'm a Baptist. I mean, that seemed logical, but... But that's complicated. There are, there are you know, I, I thought I'd spend too much time describing what kind of Baptist I am, and there are lots of kinds of Baptists. You know, there's, of course, there's Southern Baptist and Cooperative Baptist and Independent Baptist. But uh, you might want to Google this. There are also Progressive Baptist and Primitive Baptist. There are United Baptists and Separate Baptists. There are Two Seed in the Spirit Baptists, and there are predestinarian Baptists. There are fundamental Baptists and full gospel Baptists and a long list much longer than that. So you can see why I, I didn't decide to do why I'm a Baptist. It just seemed it was just too complicated. Then I thought, well, you know, I believe in God. I'm a, here's why I'm a Christian. I would talk about maybe why I'm an evangelical, but that too is complicated. 
The word evangelical comes from the Greek word evangelion, which means good news, and so that's a positive thing. And for 80 years, the word evangelical has meant three things. It has meant a belief in conversion and in, in the Bible as authority and in evangelism. It means you know, evangelicals have been uh, characterized for 80 years until recently by those three things. We believe in conversion, that people are lost without Jesus and that we have to be experienced a conversion. It may be a process, it may be a, a once kind of a sudden thing, but we need conversion, and, and, and the Bible is, is our authority. And then third, we believe in helping people find their way to Jesus. That's evangelism. That's, that's how, what the word evangelical has meant since the 1930s and 1940s. But, but recently, the, the term has been hijacked by the media so that now when I hear the word evangelical, what I hear them saying is these are Christians who are against more than they're for, who, um, who all vote the same way, and, and who are barely literate. That's what the evangelical usually means now. So I thought, well, that's too complicated. I can't, I'd spend all morning trying to, trying to unpack that. And so I thought, I can't say why I'm a Baptist or why I'm an evangelical, too complicated. And then I was headed back from vacation. And I had one of those light bulb kinds of moments. I don't even think I was thinking about the sermon. This was three weeks ago today, maybe four. And, um, and I had this idea, I, I think I'll say, here's why I'm a First Baptist Huntsville kind of Christian. Here's why I believe in God, here's why I'm a Christian, and now today I want to talk about why I'm a First Baptist Huntsville kind of Christian. And, and, and it boils down to this, you let me be me. You let me be the kind of Christian and the kind of pastor I believe I was created to be. Which brings us to our text, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. And God inspired Paul to write, and it's important to remember that he's writing to a, a congregation. This original letter, of course it applies to all of us, but it was intended, and, and this is important, for one single family, one single church, one single congregation. Here's what he says. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in this church, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you in this congregation agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you, in other words, here's where he's headed, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought, that in this congregation you be perfectly united in mind and thought, and this appeal inspired by God and written by Paul is that members of the Corinthian congregation agree with each other and be united in mind and thought. It does not say unanimous in mind and thought. It says united and there is a difference. Is it even possible nowadays though, given the fact that we have so many denominations, just think about it. The list of Baptists goes on and on, but beyond that, there, of course, we have Methodist friends and Presbyterian friends, and even they have different kinds of Methodists and Presbyterians and so on and so on and so Is it possible today to be united in mind and thought? Well, as different denominations, we cut each other some slack, you know, we're gracious toward each other, and we say we might dif disagree on even substantive things, but we know we're all part of the family of God, and when we get to heaven, we might all decide that each of us had something wrong. So, you know, we, but it's different in a church. So when Paul wrote 
to the church, the, the local congregation at Corinth. He said, now you need to be united in mind, not unanimous, but united in mind and thought, in mind and thought, because as a church, we, you know, so that the fellowship can be strong, so that we can link arms on missions, so that we don't waste time and energy arguing about so many things. We, it's important that a local congregation be united in mind and thought. And that's why I'm a, I'm a First Baptist Huntsville kind of Christian because I believe we are. It doesn't mean we're unanimous. It does mean, though, that we have, to quote my friend Todd Still, who's dean of Truett Seminary at Baylor, we have convictional congruence, meaning that our, our beliefs mesh, they, they fit. Now, I could, I could give you a whole list of reasons, but I'm only gonna give you five because I have only about an hour and 45 minutes left. So I'm gonna give you Five reasons why I'm, uh, I'm a First Baptist Huntsville kind of Christian. Number one, uh, I believe the Bible is the true and trustworthy guide for what we believe and practice. When we're deciding what God wants for us, when we're deciding the ways of the Almighty, we are informed by our tradition, by what people have taught us. We're informed by our experience, what we experience of God. We are informed by our reasoning, by our ability to think. But when all is said and done and we're, we want to know the ways of the Almighty and His intentions for us, in, in the end, uh, the Bible, as best we can understand it, is, for me, uh, the trustworthy authority. And in fact, in, in our church, we believe statement that says, we believe in the Bible as the trustworthy authority for what we believe and practice. So that's the first reason why I'm, why I'm glad to be a, a First Baptist Huntsville kind of Christian. The second reason is I am in an unusual place. I'm talking about me. I'm in an unusual place among Baptists. And even in a big tent church like this, you let me openly occupy that space. What are you talking about? Let me tell you. There are good Baptists who believe that, that I, uh, I'm not speaking for you, so I am, um, am, am too conservative because I, I hold a, a traditional view of marriage and sexuality. And so there are those who believe that I'm good Baptists, friends of mine who believe I'm not as inclusive uh, as, or, and affirming as I should be. And then I also have friends, they're good Baptists, who, who think I'm not conservative enough on the topic of women in ministry. And so, you know, I've talked and written so much on, on the marriage and sexuality question that I don't need to rehash that here, but I don't know that I've ever talked, at least not much, about women in ministry on a Sunday morning, so let me, let me talk about that. Why do I affirm women in ministry? Because of number one, I said, I believe the Bible is our trustworthy authority for what we believe and practice. And Romans 6.1 says, Phoebe was a deacon. And because Romans 16.7 says, Junia, who was a woman, was an apostle. And in the New Testament, to be an apostle is a big deal. And because I believe in Acts chapter two, neither God nor Peter were kidding around 
when Peter preached that sermon on the day of Pentecost and said, in this new age of the Spirit, men and women will prophesy or preach. Let me quote him. Acts 2, 17, your sons and daughters will prophesy, which is the same as preaching. And in the next verse, Acts 2, 18, on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will preach. So Denisha Akpan, who was up here just a few minutes ago doing the greeting, I've already lined her up for, uh, I think it's February, and she's going to stand here and, and she's going to preach. We're not going to play word games and call it a teaching or a Bible study. Right there where it says sermon by my name today, it will say sermon uh, by hers. So uh, the only thing that worries me, I'm just afraid she'll be too good. Is what, that's what the only thing that worries me. I said I occupy a rather unusual space in the Baptist world. And you let me do that openly. But so does this church. It was during the interim, just barely, just a few weeks into the interim when I was here preaching and you all were looking for a pastor. And, and, um, and I, I remember right where I was standing with Gaines and Susan Gravely. And um, they were, you know, they were, of course, people wonder who's the next pastor going to be. And oh, there's always some anxiety. And I said, let's, listen, let me reassure you. Uh, this church is the cream of the crop. I said, now this church occupies a unique place in the Baptist world. Neither on the left edge of things nor the right edge of things. I said, but in that place, that space in the Baptist world that this church occupies, this is the cream of the crop. And some centrist Baptist pastor is going to be thrilled to be invited to be the pastor of this church. Now, you don't have to, and you won't all agree with me on either one of those two topics about marriage and sexuality or about women in ministry, but you let me be me. You let me openly occupy uh, the place that, that I don't have to tiptoe around it. I don't have to be disingenuous about it. You just let me be me. So, number one, uh, the Bible is my authority for what I believe in practice, number two, I occupy this unusual place and you let me uh, openly occupy it. Number three, I believe there's a place in the future for churches like ours, but I also believe that churches like ours have to be intentional and creative. There are those who believe churches like ours, you know, we're 210 years old, uh, that uh, we've just become dinosaurs and we ought to get out of the way. Well, I s strongly disagree. There's a, our footprint is, is, irreplaceable. Our influence is undeniable. We have relationships and resources and history in the city of Huntsville that cannot be duplicated by, by young startup churches, as wonderful as they might be. There's a place for churches like ours in the future. However, to remain viable, we have to be creative. We have to be intentional. We have to be, I would even say, aggressive. And that's what this whole conversation about a new children's area is about. I also know that there are people who are not going to come to our church or any other church, no matter how good the programs or the buildings, and so we have to take the church Jesus loves closer to where the people Jesus loves actually are. You've been doing that for your entire history through mission, and now we're doing it through 
also through what we call new forms or fresh expressions of church in the art community and Butler Terrace and, and in scientific community and, and um, in the recovery community, you, you're, you're, you're doing this. And I believe in our church, I believe in our future, but I believe that our church, like churches like us, have to be creative and intentional, even aggressive. So I believe in the Bible and I occupy this unusual place and I, I, um, I believe in churches like ours, but we have to be creative and intentional. And four, I love multi-generational churches. I think that's where it's at. I find this as I'm re I read books about the future church. Uh, Wynn Collier, who's a church planter, young guy in Charlottesville, Virginia, said to me, I believe the day of the single generation church is past. Another young church planter in Washington, D.C. said to me, what I find, and they have planted a church that targets young adults. What I find, he said, is that young adults often come into our church, they get serious about their faith, and then many of them in time drift toward a church where there are multiple generations because, he said, as he gestured toward me, they like being around older folks. <laughs> Very hurtful. I believe in multi-generational churches that value both history and future, that value both wisdom and creativity, that value new ideas and stability. And, and so I, that's why I'm, I just, I'm glad I'm a First Baptist Huntsville kind of Christian. And then uh, fifth, I, I'm, I'm a First Baptist Huntsville kind of Christian because I believe Jesus matters and I believe that what people decide about him matters eternally. There are Christians, there are churches who's, for whom that seems not to be cool anymore. Lots of good Christians, lots of good churches who will march and protest and, and advocate for a good cause and do good deeds, but, but evangelism, helping people find their way to Jesus seems to be outmoded, outdated. Now we've got some work to do to make sure that the waters of our baptistry are stirred more often. However, I have the conviction, I believe you do, that that it is our responsibility and great opportunity to help people find their way to Jesus. It means that when I'm preaching, I have that opportunity and responsibility. It means that in the marketplace and in the schools and in your businesses and wherever you are, all of us have the opportunity and the responsibility to winsomely, not offensively, have spiritual conversations. I could go on, I won't. Uh, those are five reasons why um, I'm you know, I believe in God, I'm a Christian, and I'm a First Baptist Huntsville kind of Christian. Now, if you're new, you need to know that, um, at least I want you to know that, yeah, I've been a pastor here for now going on three and a half years. But for 14 months, I was the interim preacher. I flew in on Saturdays, preached all my best sermons on Sundays, and then went home on Mondays. Six weeks into that interim, I wrote an article for The Messenger, the First Baptist newsletter. And here's part of what I said. Some of you have been kind enough to suggest I should be a candidate for the position of pastor at First Baptist. While I am genuinely flattered, you do need to know that I am serving right where God wants me at this stage of my ministerial journey and for my future. 
And I closed with this paragraph. The person who will be the next pastor of First Baptist will be a blessed individual. I plan to help you prepare well for that next pastor, and then I will cheerlead for you after the transition. Then in September of 2015, I wrote another article for The Messenger uh, announcing that I was leaving to go be the interim preacher in Richmond, Virginia. And I said, this is part of what I said. My time among you at First Baptist has been one of the major, in parenthesis, and I do mean major, blessings of my ministry. I knew this was a great congregation. What actually surprised me, however, was how quickly and how deeply I fell in love with you. Both Carrie and I have felt like we were among family from the very beginning. I said at the beginning that my role was to pop in, pop off, and pop out, but it quickly became much more than that for me. This is an exciting time for you in that you are drawing closer to the day when you will welcome your new pastor. And then in the spring of 2016, you graciously invited me to be uh, that pastor. And I wrote another article for the messenger and here's part of what I said. I didn't see it coming. The deep and immediate connection with you beginning in August of 2014. How badly I missed the people of FBC after I left in September. The opportunity to serve First Baptist Church of Huntsville as the interim preacher and now the senior pastor have been two of the greatest blessings, and in parenthesis, and I'm not exaggerating, of my life. Your pastor, and it feels good to type those words, Travis. Why bring all that up? Because five uh, years ago today was my first Sunday to stand here. It was August the 3rd, not August the 4th, but it was the first Sunday of August. David Hall, your pastor, had announced his retirement, and he and Jane were away on this Sunday. They would be back the following Sunday on the 10th, and there would be his big celebration and send-off. And then two weeks from today, uh, I'd come back on the 17th, and I'd be the permanent, not well, yeah, now, wasn't supposed to be, but the, the regular uh, interim preacher. And uh, on that day, five years ago today, I said, I know you love David. And I know David loves you because David and I have been friends for a long time. And I said, I know next weekend is going to be special and it's going to be emotional. And so five years ago today, I told the following story. John Fawcett, in 1772, was pastor of a little Baptist church in Waynesgate, England. John Fawcett got an invitation from a larger church in London to come be their pastor, and he accepted their offer. So he had resigned from the little Baptist church in Waynesgate, and they, in those days, you didn't call the moving van, you packed the wagon. So they packed the wagon, and when he preached his final sermon, out in the churchyard sat that wagon loaded up with all their earthly goods. Well, after the sermon and after the send-off, after the tears and the hugs, he and his wife sat there in that wagon, surrounded by that congregation they so deeply loved. And it was so emotional. The connection was so 
deep, the tears so warm that John Fawcett's wife looked to her husband and said, I can't take this. And he said, I can't either. Unload the wagons. And they, uh, they unloaded the wagon and they, and they stayed. And then he wrote a hymn that many of us have long loved to commemorate that relationship between a pastor and a congregation. He wrote, blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds from 1 Corinthians 1.10 is like to that above. If you'll forgive my sappiness for just a moment, uh, I love the tie that binds us together. It is, uh, it is, we are united in mind and thought. Whether we agree on everything or not, we are united, we have convictional congruence, it fits. But, but it is deeper than intellect. It's deeper than, than mind and thought for me. It's a heart thing. And so, so that's why on, uh, on today, I'm thrilled that we get to celebrate communion because communion certainly goes vertically, but it also goes horizontally because we are in this together, around the table of the Lord, together. And so I'm going to invite you, whatever your denominational background, you don't have to be a member of First Baptist. This is the Lord's table, not ours. But if your heart is turned toward Jesus, then in just a few moments, when the deacons pass out first the, the wafers and then the juice, take it and hold on to it, and we'll celebrate together. And those of you who are watching from home, we're going to break away, and we'll, you and I will celebrate communion. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we are um, we're grateful for the fellowship of the saints, and we don't feel like saints sometimes, but we know you called us that. We're grateful for this fellowship that transcends uh, generations and differences. Uh, and we pray that even as we celebrate this, you would, um, you would overwhelm us by your grace. In the name of the Lord Jesus, whose death we lament and celebrate, I pray, amen.